0: Welcome to The Soul Next Door. As human beings, we are striving for connection, trying to make a difference in each other's lives. As we look at our world, we might feel deeply frustrated or saddened as injustice, separation, hate and fear seemingly dominate our society. And we seem too small to make an impact. However, if everybody opened the door to listen to one voice that needs to be heard, we could send a wave of kindness into motion and create a neighborhood of compassion and understanding. Are you ready to spread some kindness? We encourage you to open the door and share your thoughts. The soul next door might need to hear exactly what you have
1: to say. So this is really a podcast for everyone, and we are so excited to listen to other people's stories and to now birth this first episode. I'm Nicole, and I'm here with my co-host, Swan. Hi there, beautiful souls. And today's guest is Jim Millard. He's a spiritual physiotherapist from Canada, and he'll take us on his journey to vulnerability. So get comfy and enjoy the ride.
2: Oh, thank you so much, uh, Nicole and Swan, for allowing me to be a part of this uh, podcast, uh, The Soul Next Door. And um, I'm going to start with the poem. And uh, this is called I Am Just a Man. And I wrote it on a beach in Ireland, July twenty eighth, two 2016. I frown and I smile. I laugh and I cry. There's love in my heart and wonder in my eyes. I have witnessed new birth. I've beheld death. I've felt blissful joy. I've struggled for breath. I've been a father. I have loved a wife. I've bled for my convictions. I have fought for my life. I wake up every morning. Do the best that I can. Live each day. I am given. I am just a man. I am a man. I am just a man. I have felt strong love and the pain from loss. Cried from sheer happiness. Carried my own cross. I wander this world, but I am not lost. I've collected moments, not things of great cost. I've basked in the sun. I've been soaked by the rain. My dreams have been broken. I have raised them again. I can be a fool, righteous as a plan. I count all my blessings. I'm just a man. I'm a man. I'm just a man. And at that time I, I started to ask a question. How does a man find self-compassion, self-empathy, and, and self-love? How does he overcome the shame and, and guilt of everything that's maybe been placed upon him? How does he change his story? And I and I started on a journey into my own self at that time and uh, up until that time I was really adding a lot from the outside trying to read a lot of self-help and just trying to be positive looking for the door and I was pushing and pushing on this door even in 2017 2018 pushing on this door and I finally realized the door opened from the inside one day, I just decided to pull the door, uh, and it opened. And I want to talk about vulnerability, because vulnerability is the answer to how does a man find self-compassion, self-empathy, and, and self-love? And it's vulnerability, uh, and vulnerability is the gate. I think the gate to one's own self, because we can't give away what we don't have. And life is about giving ourself away. It's about connection. And if we don't have that self-compassion and self-love, how do we give ourself away? And I think, I think that's the whole essence of why we're here. And, and vulnerability is the core of all of our emotions and feelings. To even feel is to be vulnerable. And for so long as a man, I, I felt I wasn't allowed to cry. I was conditioned that that meant weakness. I wasn't allowed to really share my feelings because that's what what women did, and it was and it defined me. And it, and I was dressed in these layers and layers of uh, conditioning. I didn't choose them, and um, and I really believed vulnerability was weakness. Um, but to believe vulnerability is weakness is to believe. That our own feelings are weakness and, and it's wrong. And I know now, pulling open this door to myself, and the door is called the vulnerability. It's the gateway, it's the gateway to our own soul. And vulnerability is the birthplace of love, belonging, joy, courage, empathy, accountability, and maybe authenticity. Right, it's it's the journey from our head to our heart. It's an 18 inch journey. That's the longest journey of of everybody's life, and it's the journey to our own truth. Right, the journey to this self love. So we have to go through the door of vulnerability to to even hear our own voice, to see our own clarity, and um, find the deeper meaning behind our own purpose. And again, I think vulnerability is that path to us. And I'll give a big shout out to Brené Brown. And um, and I really feel the book, The Gifts of Imperfection, is is really the first step into my own understanding of how courage, compassion, and connection are all are all interrelated. And that this. This, in the work of Kristen Neff, the beautiful work on self-compassion and, and self-love that's really built around just a greater care for humanity and mindfulness, I think vulnerability allows me to be in the here and in the now, and, um, and I really feel I find it best in nature for me to go to the forest and in the stillness and the silence and the solitude of just Trying to, to be aware, to try to step back and just watch the world, watch the waves, and be the ocean, um, is um, is the pathway for me to hear my own voice and to be comfortable with my feelings. and And I cry a lot now. Even when I give presentations, I find I'm I give I give myself. I let myself let go and I let myself cry, but I, but I'm still apologizing for it. And I'll often find myself saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry for showing these emotions. And, um, you know, I'm, my mother was Greek. My father was Canadian and I had this clash of cultures growing up. And that's my story is, um, that I had to be strong, that I wasn't allowed to cry, that I was supposed to fight. And, um, Stand up and protect um people and things and uh and I think uh along that way i I got dressed in so many veils of conditioning and um you know the ghosts of judgment and expectations and and to be perfect always to be perfect, that there was always a right answer and now I know that I have to slowly strip those down, and I'm doing that every day trying to strip down to my own naked truth. And just when I think I'm there, it's almost like in the crevices of my heart, in the crevices of my soul, there's another layer to peel back. And there it is. And I find that, uh, like the the great work of, um, the great poetry of Rilke, um, I have to live the questions. And it's very, very hard. But I know this is a journey. And, um, and vulnerability is not a weakness and it's not something we can arrange to go around or do without. It's not a choice. It's the underlying current of our natural state and, and it's our essence. It's love. And I want to quote Rumi here too, because Rumi says, our task is not to seek for love, but merely to seek and find all the barriers that you have built against it and to embrace them. And, um, and that's where I'm at. And uh, I'm on this journey from my head to my heart. And uh, to be vulnerable is the way to self-love. It's the gate. And to be vulnerable is to be human. And um, I have a little ritual every day where I wake up and I meet the dawn. I want to meet the new day. I sit in the dark and I watch the blue light come. And if I'm lucky enough to see the sun start to rise and, and, and on really special days I get to say hello to the moon before I get to say hello to the sun and and to me it's just meeting the new day born again a stranger and I need to go to myself and my morning ritual is just to be there and to go to myself to meet myself to just hold myself to be vulnerable to allow myself to be who I'm here to be, and then to give myself away. And, uh, and I just call that, uh, again, my morning r- ritual, and it's just based around choosing love. So to all the men out there, please embrace vulnerability. There's lots of resources out there. And in 2016, I realized... I'm just a man. I'm imperfect. I get to wake up every day and and choose love. And even knowing that, it's still a journey. And as I peel away the veils and the layers of everything through the gate of vulnerability, I'm slowly walking into my destiny. And I'm slowly walking into the person that I'm here to become. So I look forward to speaking to you both about vulnerability, and especially the struggles that uh, that a man um, has on the, the journey to being vulnerable and understanding the power of vulnerability, and that it's not a weakness. So thank you for this opportunity to, uh, you know, be on the soul next door.
1: So, hi, Jim. Let's talk about your journey to vulnerability. This was some interesting talk you did there.
2: Thank you, Nicole and Swan, again, for having me. Uh, And I'd love to talk about it. So far, it's a a 52-year journey. And I really want to say that I think until you can see your own soul or, or, you know, come into contact and hear the voice of your own soul, I don't think we can see the soul next door. So I really think the journey has to start from that door to the inside before we can open the door to the outside. So I'm really, you know, I'm really interested to talk about this and share my my thoughts on my journey. So thank you again for having. Me.
1: Beautiful. So Swan, you have some questions for Jim, right?
0: I do, in fact. I'd like to start with what you started off with, your poem which was really beautifully written. I love the choice of tense, by the way. I don't know if that was intentionally or just naturally (laughs) appeared on the pages, but um, that was very interesting. And there was one line where you said, my dreams have been broken and I've raised them again. And that got me thinking, and I had this question, do broken dreams and their consequences and vulnerability correlate?
2: Yeah. Interesting. Um, and, and thinking back to the poem, because I don't have it right in front of me, just a little context, if I can share it, It the words just came to me pretty quickly. And, and I was in on a trip through northern Scotland and, and then over to Ireland to visit a good friend of mine, a boyhood friend who, who came here in the 70s because of the troubles in Ireland and then went back in his early 20s to, to teach and just to go home. And I was, was visiting him and uh, it was just an amazing experience because the beach was only, you know, one minute walk. And I just uh, was on the beach that morning. And, and I don't know if it was a bit of a mystical journey on that trip, but I was in standing stones everywhere and the energies were just incredible. And, and I was there just as the sun broke in the morning on the beach. And it was, a, it was a poem of gratitude and a poem of acceptance and a poem of I'm not done yet. And uh, so, as far as broken dreams, I think it was the first time that I really started to hear my own voice, and um, and and just to kind of to hear that, understand that the path was to the inside, and I'd been trying my whole life at that point to add things from the outside, and uh, and that's my, where I think the vulnerability, that gate to vulnerability, just really opened up for me on that trip when I could. Uh, hear myself for the first time, and I'd always written a little bit of poetry growing up, but it wasn't manly, and we can talk about that in a sec, so I hit it, but I I finally just started to share it with with not only myself, but everyone around me at that point, so I think the broken dreams were not that I wasn't satisfied with life, because I'd I'd had a good life to that point in 2016, and that was five years ago almost. But it wasn't the choices that I made. They were the choices that others made for me. And I started to realize at that point that, um, that there was more to it. And maybe that's where the tense came in from the poem, that it wasn't necessarily the ending. It was just the beginning.
0: And it is also like a continuous cycle, you know, um, dreams break over and over and over again in our lives uh, intentionally unintentionally sometimes we don't really notice it right away sometimes it had a, has a very big impact on our lives and I certainly think that when your dreams like shatter you become one of the most fragile versions of yourselves that you can become in those moments and that's why I was thinking because when you are in this fragile position you know there's three ways it could go you know you could actually try and connect with other people and ask for help and connection and open up. But you could also, and this is certainly me, you could also completely retreat, put on an armor, which then again builds like a wall, you know? You cannot really get to your vulnerable side in terms of sharing it with other people. And so I was wondering, like, where, where can one find the balance in that? So in other words, when you began the process of rebuilding your dreams I don't know how conscious you were about that but where were you able to find the balance and be vulnerable about it
2: yeah good good question and I think the answer is I don't know uh because because at that point in time I, I didn't know what I was feeling I was just expressing what was coming out of me and that's the gift of poetry. To me, the gift of poetry was almost that invisible, that subconscious becoming visible to my consciousness. And uh, I don't even think I chose the words, which sounds a little bit funny. I think the words just chose me and they were ready to come. And then reflecting on those words then kind of made me, just made me kind of focus a little bit on that. And and, because I didn't have anyone to talk to, Swan. And that's part of the the difficulty on my journey. And that's my own, my own armor, my own armor. And uh, my own story got me to the point where I didn't feel comfortable sharing these kind of feelings with anyone. I certainly couldn't share them with my, my wife or my parents or my kids because it was total judgment. And it was like, you know, what, what the hell's wrong with you kind of thing? Uh, look around, you've got everything. And I didn't have the friendships that I really could let that go in. And that's where poetry almost was my ability to connect. So I, I'm going to circle back to say I, I don't think there is a balance. And, um, and I stopped looking for a balance just because I could never find it. And I was just with myself, really. And that's where, the, the again, the poetry became my, my friend. And now I'm a little better at expressing myself. But I, I keep stripping down thinking, you know what, I'm finally totally naked here and I'm going to go out to the world naked. But then I get outside and I realize that there's still one more layer there. And it's stripping away those layers is, is vulnerability.
0: Absolutely. You, you were talking about the layers in your talk. And I'm going to talk about that one a, a little bit because these layers that you were talking about brought up a lot of different images in my in my head you know the first one that I came up with was the Matroshka, you know the russian doll you know that you can basically take apart and then it becomes a smaller and smaller version of itself and again you know like this teeny tiny puppet at the end that we get is just so tiny so fragile and you might think you know it's really not strong at all it's the tiniest version of itself that it can be but actually it feels I'm pretty sure you know, like. It, it feels like relief, you know, pain is gone. I read this quote once by Mandy Hale, I think, and it's growth is painful, change is painful, but nothing is as painful as staying stuck somewhere you don't belong. And I was thinking about this tiny doll being stuck under all of these layers that there are. And that must be super painful. So as soon as you can strip these layers off of yourself, it's freeing. And, but at the same time, it's a painful process. The puppet, the doll gets smaller. At the same time, there's growth, which, again, is very painful. So I don't know where I'm getting with this. Like, I'm kind of stuck in my thoughts right Mm now. But uh, where was I getting? I think I wanted to ask you, do you think, you know, that it is also important in this process to rebuild layers or to build up new layers? Because we're only thinking about taking layers off and freeing ourselves and our soul. But... Can it also be very beneficial the other way around? I
2: think how I'd like to answer that, if I can bring it back to the beginning and then come back to the end, the way we're conditioned to learn or the way I've been conditioned to learn was that I was never enough, that I had to add layers. And and that was how I was conditioned to grow up. And that was the system I learned in from my parents to the school, to the clash of cultures that I lived was that I had to add layers. And I think I realized in 2016, when I came to that aha moment uh, on the beach that morning, and I'd had a couple other poems before that that really were building to that, where I didn't need a new program. I didn't have to have a new guru, a new advisor. I didn't need to somehow control my thoughts or try to shift my emotions, I didn't need more self improvement, more information, and I was looking for transformation, that I didn't, I wasn't hungry for, for something more mental, I was hungry for my own heart, I was hungry to meet my own soul. And, um, and I realized that it wasn't adding more. And that's where stripping the layers really came into it. But I didn't know how to let go. I didn't know how to surrender, because I'd never, I'd never been taught that. And you talk about that Russian doll and that all the, the containers that it lives in. And, and maybe those just aren't smothering it. Maybe those are just a whole bunch of, you know, safety containers, protective containers, you know, learning containers that, that have been placed on me. But at the, so, at the real heart of that, I honestly think it, it's love and that it's just innate. And to just to kind of strip down to that essence of, of who we really are is really, really difficult. Because we always feel like we have to add more instead of just subtracting to be who we are. And maybe there is a balance there. Maybe maybe we have to add a little bit to be able to subtract uh, in the end. Maybe we get to a point where I can't go any, I can't strip away what I don't see. And that's maybe the joy of sometimes counseling or therapy to be able to go back to really see something that then I can then let go. Um, and so it might be adding a different way of processing so that I can then go back and let go. So I think it is a dance between the invisible and the visible, but honestly, I, I, I wanna believe that letting go is the answer.
1: So this is kind of interesting because when I thought of uh, the layers, I had another image in my mind. I had the image of, um, well, you come home Uh, fully dressed, Um, first you take off your baggage, you know, so, um, and in life you would do the same first, at first, when you try to go to yourself, you you get rid of all the the surrounding around you, you know, of the people who are disturbing you, of the people who are, um, yeah, who are um, responsible maybe for you not being able to go to yourself. You know, so well that sounded wrong. No one else is responsible for that, but <laughs> you know what I mean. People that surround you that maybe are taking your energy or something like that. So and then afterwards you would take off your hat. So you ha- so you would have to go from your head to your heart, maybe like so. And then afterwards you take off your jacket, free yourself, free your arms. You would be able to move better. And, and then just take off the first layer around your heart, and then you would take off your shoes maybe. And taking off your shoes could stand for getting grounded because I think grounding is a very important part in going to yourself. And um, I think you did that when you were at, the, at that beach, you were grounded and maybe this was enabling you to, to go to yourself and then to set those words free. And then afterwards you you take off uh, another layer, like your pullover or something like that, um, another layer. I think there are more layers around the heart than around <laughs> anything else uh, of the body. So, um, and if you go outside, maybe you'd put on a jacket again. Well, and sometimes you even dress up. You even um, put on clothes that you won't even wear at home because maybe at work you have like a uniform or something like that. I, I was wondering uh, how far and how far are the layers stopping you from being vulnerable, you know, having this analogy in mind. So what do you think about that?
2: I love it. And, and I think it was no mistake um, that I started to hear myself on the beach. I'm 1,500, 1,600 kilometers from the ocean, the nearest ocean. And uh, we've got huge lakes here. But it's not the same. For me to be able to go to the sea opens something up inside of me. And, and, and in that solitude and in that silence, I could hear myself. Um, and, I, and I need that. And I, all those layers, and, and there's so many of them, but I think the important thing for me that I had my shoes off. For me, I think it started with taking my shoes off and being barefoot. So that's, that's the gate to vulnerability, I think, has to go through empathy. And to have, have your shoes off means I'm, I'm not wearing somebody else's shoes either. And I'm not, I'm not in judgment that I'm just in an acceptance. And I really think to be grounded to the sand and to walk into that water allowed me to be vulnerable, And and I like how I like your metaphor there with all the layers. And and I was just sitting here thinking, holy moly, there's a lot of I'm gonna swear, holy shit, there's a lot of layers. Okay, and um and I love the analogy that so much of it is is covering our heart because that's where our armor is. That's where we're protecting ourselves. And I sit here with people all day long, and I watch them, and I watch how people kind of hold themselves and how they cross their arms and they're really protecting things and I learned quickly that I could never be between somebody and the door I always let them be between the door and and me just to to, for that safety factor but I think the longest journey we'll ever make is that 30 centimeters or so from our head to our heart and there are so many layers Nicole I, I don't even know how to take them all off And it's just such a journey and it's reflecting. And and again, circling right back, I think it's, I love that if we start from taking our shoes off and that's empathy. And I don't think we can be vulnerable unless we have empathy for ourselves, unless I'm allowing myself to have self-compassion, unless I'm allowing myself to love myself. That's the gate I have to go through to even, I think, become vulnerable, only then can I undress. So that's that's where I'm at with that. But there are a lot of layers for sure.
1: Yeah, and isn't, isn't nature providing a very safe space for being vulnerable and to be connected to the earth? Like, nature is seeing us, right? So Swan has to say something about that, I think.
0: <laughs> Do I have to? <laughs> no, I just... Exactly, when you say that, you know, I think that it is, at least for me, the basically the only time I can really be vulnerable. It is very easy when I'm alone in nature to be vulnerable because nature already knows me. It knows who I am. I can experience nature in a way where I can see and experience the emotions of existence, but also fading away at the very same time. And you notice that you are, we are, you know, it's like one thing. And everything is supposed, it's its the way it's supposed to be. And you have a sense of that when you are in nature. So it's simple. But as soon as another human being walks in, ego makes itself known again. You know, at least it's that way for me. And I think it's that way for a lot of people. So I was thinking, like, how can we make it easier for each other to get a sense of what we have when we are in nature with each other do any of you have any ideas Jim yeah. yeah
2: yeah I love that and I'm going to circle back to to Nicole's previous kind of answer with all the layers and then come back to you Swan because I think you just said it in nature we're seen because nature already knows who we are and I'm not a very religious person at this point in my journey, but I'm strongly spiritual. I'm more spiritual than I've ever been. And nature is my altar. Nature is my church. And uh, I will go into the forest most days that I can. And I always like to think of the forest as for rest, forest, for rest. And I can hear my own voice. And the forest always sees me, the forest and nature always hears me. The natural beauty of this world, if I'm in there alone, always validates me. I don't have to be anything else. I'm just me. And I, and I have thoughts there and, and the dots connect. If I'm going to write poetry, it always is the best after I've been in nature and the words, the words just find me and I'm in synchronicity. And I'm going to circle back to say to you, Swan, that's transcendence. And and I think that's what I started to realize in two thousand sixteen. It's not just about me and all my. I'm not even going to say myself because I'm going to say my selves, How many selves do I have? Every one of those friggin' layers Nicole talks about is a self. Oh yeah. It's my. It's my work self. It's my my father self. It's my you know married self. It's my you name it. I have all these selves. And that's the hardest thing is to strip all these away. And that's transcendence because it's not, not this. I don't think there's anything such thing as enlightenment maybe, but it's stripping away all these selves to just be at one with the world. And, and we can, we can bypass that. And I know there's no way to bypass life. We have to go through it, but I can almost, the kids these days talk about hack. I can hack the system because And nature lets me just go right to it where I'm just connected to everything and the roots of the trees, my feet, when I hold a tree, when I touch a tree, it almost just enlightens me. So I think nature gives us that ability just to go right to awe, to transcend ourselves and to just be part of something so much bigger. And that's connection. And I really think that taps into that love that we're all innate with. And that's why I think we need rituals. And that might be part of our resilience, our resilience to, to be able to continue to strip the layers off, maybe comes through resiliency. And that's learned. That's a learned thing. And uh, so that's where I'm at. I think I've added some rituals that make me more resilient so that as you know the shit hits the fan and, I'm, and I've got to climb a new mountain, I've already got some skills I can lean on so that I don't have to add more layers again. I can keep stripping.
0: That's really good advice, you know, because I think all of us have a tendency to, when we are actually feeling okay, when we're feeling good, we suddenly don't do our rituals anymore, our daily practices. But it is so important to keep that up and in case, you know, we we have the bad days. And we will have the bad days for sure. Absolutely. I love the way that you talked about being in awe You know, with everything that is somebody said to me once when we were like in a really beautiful setting in Utah. And somebody said to me once, like, I feel so small and insignificant. And I just kept thinking, like, I don't feel insignificant. I think in this insignificance, there is the significance, you know. So whenever we can have a moment like this, I love that you go into the forest every day. That's really beautiful. So thank you for sharing that.
2: No, thank you. And and I and I and I love that you brought that analogy of feeling so small. And and it's when I feel that small, it's when I feel the most connected, because that's almost when I feel the most naked. And then I don't have to be anything, but who I am. And who I am is just part of everything. It's just connected to to the world, to people, to nature, and and that's awe. To me, that feeling small is awe, and it's it's transformation. And and we. And all the layers we add are just more information, information. And I don't want any more information. I just want transformation. And it's a struggle. And that's the wave. Tomorrow, I might have a bad day. That's the wave. But slowly and slowly and slowly, instead of trying to be in that wave and trying to swim for my life every day and trying to find a lifeboat, I've learned to just realize it's roomy, right? I'm the ocean and I can just watch the waves. I'm not perfect at it. It's difficult. I struggle with it. But I've learned the more I can watch the waves, the more I can just be who I really am.
1: Yeah, I love that because um, watching the waves is like uh, self-compassion, right? You were talking about self-compassion and self-love. Do you think it's possible to be vulnerable without having self-love or self-compassion?
2: I think maybe, but maybe you don't recognize it. And to be able to recognize you're being vulnerable has to come through, I think, self-love and self-compassion, because that's acceptance. And if I don't accept myself that, hey, I'm imperfect, right? And shout out to Brene Brown, The Gifts of Imperfection, um, the book. But, but I'm imperfect, and that's okay. And that's self-love. That's acceptance. And, and only then can I find the, the door to vulnerability, because for years and years and years, I was in front of it. I can look back at some of the stuff I wrote and I was at the door and I might get teared up here a little bit. And that's my vulnerability. I was at the door, but I was pushing the door and that was adding more and more stuff. I was pushing the door. And then I don't know, by being seen and being heard and being (sighs) allowing myself to love myself, I realized I had to pull the door. So, and as a good Canadian, I'll probably say, sorry for, Tearing up here a little bit, but um, yeah. So I, I think that's it. You have to have that self compassion. You can be at the door to vulnerability, but you don't know the door opens to the inside. You have to pull the door.
0: Don't say th- sorry. You know, thank you, thank you yeah. for being vulnerable with us.
2: And I, and it tears me up because I think I've been at the door for twenty years, but uh, only in the last four years did I realize it it pulls open from the inside. But some days I still try to push the damn thing.
1: So I, so I think uh, maybe without self compassion or self love, um, you um, could be vulnerable, but then you would see it as a weakness, right? Um, because people will would hurt you and could get, get through to you. So I, I looked up um, the definition of vulnerability or being vulnerable on uh, Merriam-Webster. And it says, vulnerable is ultimately derived from the Latin noun vulnus, uh, meaning wound. Uh, Vulnus led to the Latin verb vulnerare, meaning to wound, and then to the late Latin adjective vulnerabilis, which became vulnerable in English in the early 1600s. And I wondered if you had to be wounded to feel vulnerable or to be able to be vulnerable or show yourself vulnerable what do you think about that
2: I love it absolutely and I love how you talked about until you realize that you have that you can love yourself then I'm fine the way I am that I'm enough that it is seen as weakness like for me to to cry oh I'd probably get get spanked and told, you know, I'm a sissy, and I wasn't allowed to show any kind of feelings like that, you'd get eaten at school, you'd be preyed upon, like you learned pretty quickly that uh, you just didn't do that as as a male. Anyway, I can only speak for myself. Um, But it is such a strength. And to realize it's a strength is really empowering and really powerful. And, uh, and what you talk about, Nicole, I'm gonna, I'm gonna call the universal wound. We all have this universal wound, and to borrow that from John Wellwood, a, a psych, you know, a psychotherapist, a, a great, uh, you know, Buddhist spiritualist, um, that I've read a lot of John Wellwood's work, and he talks about the universal wound, and, and he borrowed it from somebody, I'm sure, and it's that what that fear, right? The fear is that I'm not loved, and that I'm not enough, and that uh, you know someone's gonna take their love away from me, and. And I think we live from with that universal wound because we've all, in the conditioning that we've maybe grown up with and that we've received and how we've been judged. I think we all live with that universal wound, and that again, self-empathy or self-compassion and then vulnerability might be the way just to accept we're all like that, and that uh, that's the journey back to from my head to. To my heart.
1: So in your talk, you mentioned that you sometimes cry at your meetings at work. Um, how do people react to that?
2: Yeah, it started. I, I, I remember lecturing at the, the, the university where I teach at here. You know, I'm just a lecturer now, but I used to teach a class there. And one day we were just talking about our journey and we were talking to the students about mentors and the people that have, um, I'll probably cry now, have helped us along the way. And I just broke into tears and I looked out and saw all these blank faces. And it's the first time I cried in in public giving a lecture. And uh, it was interesting. I was kind of ashamed at the time. I looked over at my colleagues and and there were three, you know, uh, my female colleague was smiling and the two men were like, they couldn't look at me. And it was really a, a comical moment. And I really felt like, oh, my God, what just happened to me? But it's interesting now, especially in the last couple of years, especially in the last year, depending on what I'm talking about, I'll, I'll probably just like today, let myself go and I won't care. I just let myself be me. But it was difficult to get to that point because I would just, the shame and the guilt would come in that I was weak. But now I just realize it's who I am and if I can share my emotions. And, and the students now actually one or two will always thank me after in a private message saying thank you for for being human and and that's I don't need the validation but it's nice to see that um, that people understand that uh, you know vulnerability is a strength and if I can demonstrate that if I can be an example for that if I can can show that then I think that's I want to leave it better than I found it especially for the male students because I can I can relate to them more and and, and I think it's not as bad as it was when I grew up, where you weren't allowed to to cry as a man. I think we need to kind of make that normal because it is normal.
1: Yeah can can we take can we talk more about uh, your time growing up and how it was like? You mentioned that um, that you sharing your poetry was difficult back then because well, I as a teenager wrote poetry too, and I got people picked on me a lot for that. And I'm, I'm a girl, you know, I was a girl back then. So I I only can imagine that it was even harder for you. So what, what was your experience then?
2: Well, I didn't share it. Like, there's no no way I would share it. I couldn't do it. Um, so I was from an inner city school in, in who lived downtown in my city and my city would be about 400,000 people. and it's growing it would maybe be half that size when I was a boy but downtown you had only two things you had immigrants like people who who came to Canada just to to have a better life maybe after wars or after oppression or whatever and we had how can I say it nicely just people that were down on their luck I'll just leave it at that that the people were struggling and uh and it was a really interesting thing. So you, ba- you had to take care of yourself. There was lots of prejudice, lots of, lots of racism towards immigrants. But what was interesting to, for my growing up, my mother was Greek, and she came after the war as a, as a seven-year-old. And uh, my dad was, who knows, Canadian, right? I mean, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Uh, we've been, his, his family's been here for 300, 400 years Um, So I was the first generation on my mother's side here to be born here and like the 10th or 11th on my father's. So it's really, really interesting. And I got to see it from both sides. I got to see where on the Greek side, things were a little more emotional. You could let yourself go, maybe not as a boy crying, but you could, you'd live the emotions. On the Canadian side, there was no emotions. Like on the Greek side, there was no space. There was a greeting, was a hug and a kissing in your face. Like there was no space. Whereas with the, my Canadians, you had to stand as far away as, as possible and just be able to touch a hand. Like it was total space. So I was confused and really grew up in this clash of cultures emotionally, not knowing was I Greek, was I Canadian, was I both? And I never really... I struggled, I really struggled with that. So that was part of who was I, and and I had the Greek self, I had the Canadian self, I had, so it was just more layers to the enigma of, of who I was.
0: And um, this is super interesting because this raises the whole, you know, issue of toxic masculinity too, you know, like I'm going to go back a step here because you you said how um, you get feedback after, you know, your lectures from people in written form, which I think is the first step. I love that people give you feedback um, on that one. Not one-on-one yet, but, you know, people are opening up and they are, you know, telling each other, this is actually what I needed to see in order to know, you know, how I can be more of myself. I love how younger people now share these things On platforms such as TikTok, you know, like there will be younger boys and men who read their poetry there and they face, you know, they face this toxic masculinity in their comments and they deal with it. And I I just love to see that. But it's also very interesting to hear your journey because you had these different cultural backgrounds you grew up in and I think masculinity... Correct me if I'm wrong, but it is also interpreted and lived in very different ways in these two different cultures, right? Yeah,
2: absolutely. And uh, I have to say, I, as a social media is new to me too, so I'm not. I have to check TikTok out. I'll have you have to teach me that. Um, but yeah, and, that's sure. <laughs> be, and, and I struggled with it because on the Greek side, I was allowed to maybe be a little more sensitive um and but almost pathologically so because it was linked to uh it was linked to i don't want to use the word love but it was linked to attention so on the greek side everyone shared their pain like there were no secrets if, if you were in pain you told everybody about it and um and i remember falling off my bike one day in front of my my grandparents lived next door if you've ever seen the movie my big fat greek wedding it was written by a Greek-Canadian for a reason. My grandparents lived next door, and I fell off my bike, and uh, I, my knee was bleeding, and my grandmother was on the porch. And I remember her crying, like she started crying before I did, and she was hugging and kissing me, and I started to realize, my God, if I if I cry a little bit here, I get all this attention, and, and, and it's like, whoa, and I like to be hugged, and, and I, I wasn't used to being hugged. And uh, but on my dad's side, I was there the following week and and the scab fell off my knee and I started crying and my dad's father was there. And I shouldn't say this, but he actually kicked me in the behind and said, stop crying. Like, what are you, a sissy? Right. And I started to think, what is going on? Like these people hug me. These people don't hug me. It's linked to to tears somehow. And um, and it was just a real clash because you didn't know who you could be. And it was like there were rules that I had to follow in different situations. Like I could, I could cry here, I couldn't cry there. But, but even still, as a boy, even in, on both sides, I was encouraged not to, not to be too emotional. Just because where I was, you just got eaten up. And I remember my dad getting boxing gloves for me and teaching me how to fight because I wouldn't stand up for myself. And and my friends down the street would, uh, you know, I they would kick me in the shins and stuff and push me. And they're boys just being boys at the time, right? Everyone's just trying to find their way. But I wouldn't fight back, and I'd go home with these cuts and that. And and my dad would say, "What's wrong with you? Can't you fight back?" And I'd say, well, I, they're my friends. Why, why do I need to fight back? So he made it a point where he, he took it under, you know, took me under his wing and, and taught me to, um, taught me to fight. And, uh, but I didn't want to do it. And um, we moved and we, and I know this is a bit long-winded, but we moved uh, away out to the edge of town when I was seven. And I remember the first day at this new school and it was, it was so hard to leave. And, uh, and the kids, they're cruel, right? They, um, some... Some are my friends to this day. I remember one boy, an older boy, starting to pick on me, and I just beat the hell out of him. And and it was such a paradox because I went from downtown to being this kid that got picked on to this new school where all of a sudden I was the tough guy because these kids didn't know how to fight. They were out in the suburbs. They were the the rich kids I came from nothing and um and it changed it changed my outlook and, and all of a sudden I became confident I became a little braver and, and I slowly took on the role of being a protector instead of and, and it actually made me lose myself more in a, in a funny kind of way so yeah long journey I was really I wanted to cry but I was never allowed to I wanted to share a poetry but I never could and um just from the conditioning and the layers and just my own i was just a kid right just my own insecurities
0: so the confidence was a layer too, right you know you you, when you said the word i was like okay this is this is a really thick layer right there
2: yeah and that's a long answer but to the fighting and to be able to stand up for myself came with confidence but it wasn't the real confidence that i that i needed in the long run to meet my real self. yes
1: Exactly. Yes. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you so much. And um, you you were talking about um, your uh, Greek side of the family, sharing everything, sharing the pain and sharing everything. So this reminded me, you mentioned Brené Brown in your talk. And she says in her book, The Gifts of Imperfections, she says that "Mm, not everyone has the right to hear your story. How does that connect to vulnerability? What do you think about that? Yeah, I love that. And I I never
2: let anybody share my story. I
1: didn't let them hear my
2: story because I was trying to figure my own story out. I didn't realize um, maybe until that 2016 journey, which just to go to those mystical places just opened something up in me. And I really struggle with that even to this day to who I can trust with my story because I'm still writing it. And that, to to go back to Swan's comments on the poem, I mean, it was written in a tense where I'm not done that story. There's still a couple more verses that are going to come in that poem. Um, And I am just a man. So I think vulnerability allows us to share our story with more people. But I really think the first thing is being able to share my story with myself. And maybe I'm just at that point to accept my own story to I can't give away what I don't already have, and just to realize that it's okay to be me, it's okay to to ask for what I want, it's okay to it's okay to strip down and be naked, to cry, and to just try to make the world a better place, and just to try to be love. and um, And I'm ready to share my story, but I'm just at the point where I'm ready to give it away.
0: Thank you so much, and it's an honor to have you here right now, sharing your story. Thank you. I've got one last question for you and for all of us, which is, um, imagine a world in which everyone was truly vulnerable. What would that look like?
2: Wow. (laughs) I almost started to sing for you there, Swan, right? (laughs) Uh, John Lennon's Imagine, but uh, I'd have to think it's, it would be a better place, right? And and that's truly in my heart and, and, you know. My ego says can't happen, but why not? Right? Why not? Why can't we just all be love? And if you ask me if I could change one thing in the world, I think that would be it. That if people could just. They don't have to find love. We don't have to search for love. We don't have to create love. We are love. And if we can choose that love every friggin' day, I think the world can be a better place because once we can see ourselves, we can see the soul next door. And when we see the soul next door, we don't have to be anything but one big happy family. And maybe one day that can happen. I certainly pray for it.
0: So the journey... Oh, sorry, Nicole. Um, The journey to vulnerability is basically also the journey from fear to love, right?
2: Yeah, because love, right? Love is only found on the other side of fear. And that's the journey from the head to the heart. I mean, my head is fear. That's my ego is going to try to protect me. It's going to try to keep me safe. And and I understand that. And I thank it every day. I thank it for trying to look out for me. But I don't need the help. And I know that to love is going to come from, from pain, too. And just to be able to embrace that journey is... Again, I think it's the most difficult journey of our life. It is the journey of our lifetimes. And uh, and I'm, to realize we're on the journey, I think, is the first step. And vulnerability, especially as a man, is the gate, right? With empathy, but vulnerability is the gate to being able to start the journey from our head to our heart.
0: Thank you. Those were some beautiful last words. Nicole, do you have any more thoughts that you would like to add?
1: No, I think that was a beautiful ending, so... Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here and for sharing your story and for sharing your journey with us.
2: Yeah, thank you. And uh, thanks to you for, you know, bringing this podcast forward to the world and hopefully my story. You guys are sharing my story before even I'm sharing it. So that's the first step for me. So thank you so much for being who you are and doing what you're doing and you're helping set me free. So thank you.
0: Again, thank you. It's an honor. And I'm sure you are an inspiration to a lot of people. And to all of you listening right now, thank you so much for joining us today. You can send your feedback and your thoughts to our email address, which is thesoulnextdoorpodcast at gmail.com. That is one word, podcast at gmail.com. And we are planning to have these episodes up on a monthly basis for now, as we are relying on your contributions. So if you'd like to talk about a topic that's important to you on this show, Feel free to send in your ideas, maybe even your audios or your script, to said email address. Again, the soul next door podcast at gmail.com. Plus, we'd love to connect via social media. So you can find us on TikTok and on Instagram at the soul next door podcast. Have a wonderful day, everyone. Until next time.